You're listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. Worship with us on Sundays in Kansas City, or join us in June for our youth and young adult conference called Bold. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Yeah, good? Awesome. Well, I'm excited to be uh, preaching to you this morning, and uh, do you like the person you're sitting next to? Yeah? Good, I hope you do. If not, you're stuck with them for the next 29 minutes and 43 seconds, but uh, I'm excited to preach, and uh, we've been in an awesome series called Persevere. Hold on, let me get my notes going. I'm not a professional at this. I'm going to just let you in on a secret. I'm pretty nervous today, uh, but I'm going to persevere. That's the title of our series, and God is good, and I'm going to persevere uh, through this, but my name is Joshua Hubbard, uh, as Pastor David said, young Joshua Hubbard. This is, uh, I'm a little older than I was yesterday, but um, I'm young Joshua Hubbard, so it's great to meet you. If I haven't got to meet you yet, um, I get to run the dream team here. I'm the dream team director, and it's been an honor and a privilege to get to help start this, this church. I'll tell you a little bit more about my story in just a minute, but um, I'm the dream team director. If you don't know what the dream team is, uh, they're just the group of people that really make Sundays happen. Uh, they make uh, the greeters, the greeters are at the door when you come in saying hello to you. They're handling your coffee. Don't you love our coffee team? Don't we have the best coffee team? So good. They're mixing the sound. They're leading you in worship. Wasn't worship amazing today? And, uh, and so they're just really making everything happen. And I get to help just lead that, that charge. And really our whole goal for every person at Radiant Church is that you would be involved. And that if, you, if you've ever seen our uh, vision, it's know God, find freedom, then we want you to discover your purpose. And that's, you know, it's a really broad thing. Uh, we can't help you discover your whole purpose, but we want to join alongside the purpose God has put inside of you um, and help you discover your purpose. So that happens in our Next Steps classes uh, and then we want to help you make a difference with the gifts God's put inside you. And that is our goal um, as a church. And so we would love, you know, as a dream team director, I would love for you to join the dream team. Um, and you can go to step four today, which is actually joining the team, and then you can follow through with that. But I just want to honor our dream team. Can you put your hands together for the dream team? And then also, before we get into the message, I want to take a moment and honor Pastor David and Miss Renata. And Pastor David's not here. He's in Detroit today preaching. But I just want to say, uh, honestly, from my heart, uh, I've never met two people that are so passionate about Jesus and passionate about reaching people and passionate about reaching a city and following the call that God's put on their life. And I just want to honor them today. Even though uh, Pastor David's not here, it's more than what they do. I was thinking about this the other day and, and really praying. Um, and... It's so much more than what they do. It's who they are. It's the fact that off stage and behind closed doors, they care more about people and they're more passionate about people. When you can't see what's going on, they're praying for you. They cry over you. They love you. They ask God to work um, through them and he is in such a powerful way. So I wanna honor them. Can we put our hands together for our pastor, Ms. Renata, Pastor David. And today we are continuing in Persevere series. Who's loving this series? Anybody loving the Persevere series? It's been so good. Um, and it's really, been, it's called Persevere. We're talking about getting through hard times and the hard things going on in our life. And like I said today, I'm persevering through this, but uh, as a joke, but it's kind of serious. I really am. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, but we've been going through this series talking about the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. And if you're going to try to figure out how to get through a bad day, try to persevere through things in your life, um, and really bad seasons, not just a day, but seasons in your life, you have to look to the one who endured the most pain. 
and who endured the hardest life. And that was Jesus. And so we've been looking at that. Week one, we talked about forgiving others. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We talked about how we have to let go of unforgiveness in our heart because it's a prison um, for us. It holds us in. And then week two, we talked about help someone else that is struggling. And you gotta be able to step out and get your eyes off yourself. That's what I've been telling myself this message. This is not about me. I'm here to help people. And my dad had this phrase when I was growing up that was literally in the Hubbard household. We had to say it almost every day. And it was, it's not about me. He'd say, what's rule number one? And you had to say, it's not about me. It's not about me. And it got on my nerves so bad. Oh, my gosh, I could not stand that. Um, but now I'm thankful for it because it's made me into the man I am today uh, to be able to step out and help people. And that's for all of us. That's who Jesus was, by the way. You know, God gets painted in this bad picture sometimes um, where it looks like God is a selfish God. He just wants praise. He just wants glory. That's all he is. But really, he's the most selfless being, the most selfless person who stepped out of heaven for us when we couldn't save ourselves. And so we talked about how we've got to help someone else that's struggling. And then week three, we talked about standing with others on their hardest day. On their hardest day. Aren't you thankful to have people that stand with you on their hardest day? I got to do that this week um, with a friend. And I was just really inspired. I thought about this last night. Just challenged by um, really the fact that I got to put into practice this week uh, what Pastor David talked about last week and be Jesus to someone else. And uh, we've been in the scripture Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, this has been our uh, theme scripture. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And we've been talking through this. Uh, it's been our theme verse, but I want to read to you today the fourth saying of Jesus, and we'll dive right in. It's, it's Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 through 47. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Come on, who's encouraged me at church this morning? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for today, God. I just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to do this, Lord. Lord, I thank you now that you look down in pleasure over your people, God, gathered here to hear your message. Lord, we just pray that it would be you who's honored, God. It's not about us, Lord. You've been so selfless. Lord, you've saved us. You've saved our lives, God. Lord, and that is more than enough, but then you go on to do so much for us, Lord. So as I pray, Lord, I pray as, as, as I speak, God, it wouldn't be about me, Lord. It'd be about the people in this room that need you, God, and need your goodness, need your grace, Lord. And I just pray for open hearts to hear the message of grace and the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Has anybody ever had something unexpected happen to you? I'm sure that's most people, something unexpected. Just things didn't go the way you thought they were going to go. Uh, to be completely honest with you, that's been most of my life. Um, <laughs> Especially in regards to following the Lord. Uh, I, I grew up in a Christian home, amazing Christian home. I have the best parents. I, said, I made that joke about my dad, but my mom and dad were always making us go to church. And I say making us. I say making us go to church because I did not love church to begin with. Um, and, and for years, they'd make us to go. But we were there all the time. When the doors were open, we were in church, me and my brother, Matthew. Shout out to them. They'll be watching this uh, at some point today. Um, I love my family. But 
Uh, anyways, we grew up in church, and it was such an amazing uh, experience growing up in church. But honestly, my personal relationship with the Lord started about 13. I remember reading the Bible in my room and, and, and just falling in love with the Word of God. I mean, to be completely honest with you, I thought and I felt like the Lord was just speaking directly to me, and he was. And the more that I read, the more I began to fall in love with Jesus. And, you know, the more you're around Jesus, the more you study Jesus, the more time you spend with Jesus, you can't not love him. He's so countercultural to the way the world is. And I began to fall in love with Jesus. And really, what changed in my heart, I grew up in church, so I knew about God. But what changed for me was I started to love people. And I started to care about what mattered in life. And I was such a religious kid. Even though I was a kid, I was religious. I cared about the people I cared about. I loved them very much, and I cared about following the rules, um, but I did not love people the way I should. And I met Jesus, and he began to show me how to love people the right way and how to love those that were really seemed unlovable to me and how to look past what people were doing and look at who they were and love them. And it just began to change my life from there. I went to a summer camp uh, when I was 15 years old. Um, and I felt this call of the Lord. It was Camp Awanatal. Has anybody ever been to Camp Awanatal in South Carolina? I didn't think so. But um, changed my life, though. And so uh, I went to Camp Awanatal and just really felt this call all week long of the Lord calling me to ministry. And that was unexpected for me. I never expected to actually fall in love with God. I thought I would know God. I didn't think I'd fall in love with him. And then the next unexpected thing was I felt called to ministry. And I never saw myself doing this today. And, um, but I knew that God was calling me. And I'll never forget the day. Um, I know it was God because I can still remember it like it was yesterday. Like I remember being 15 years old, camp at all, last night of the camp, and we're by the fire. I remember the people that are around there. I remember my dad standing there. I remember sobbing, saying, the Lord is calling me ministry. And just being excited that I was going to get to serve Jesus the rest of my life. But I had no idea what that looked like. And two years go by, I go to college, I go to all. War Eagle, is anybody an Auburn fan, Auburn University? Yes? you have an Auburn fan here? Amen. All right, I'll meet you after. Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you. No, but, um, well, I mean, yes, not no, but. Uh, but I, I just, Auburn was my dream school, so Auburn, and um, that was my plan. I knew I was called to ministry, had no idea what to do with it, though, and so I was going to go to Auburn. And, but what I did not expect happened again. It's just this theme of my life uh, of where I go there, and I get miserable. Um, I, I'm three months in. I don't like what I'm doing. I have no idea what I want to do um, with my life, except for I know I'm supposed to call ministry. I mean, I'm supposed to do ministry, but I have no idea how to do it. So I'm miserable. All of my friends are, you know, a lot of them are partying, and I'm just not into that. I feel called by the Lord, and I want to be set apart. But I just have no idea what to do. So I'm lonely. I have no, um, what to do, no idea how to handle this and what path to take. And the next unexpected thing happens. I walk into this church called Church of the Highlands. And really, um, I experienced the Lord there like I never had before. I experienced life and love um, from people. And really just, if I could explain it the best way, when uh, I walked into the church, I just felt life. Honestly, and I felt this thing in my spirit. Looking back now, I didn't know it then, but what I felt in my spirit was, this is what I've been looking for my entire life. A church like this, people like this that are passionate about Jesus. And I just fell in love. I started to get involved in one day, small group, and this guy comes up to me and says, um, he comes up to me, sorry, I'm having mic issues here. Yeah, keep my hand on the mic. I see it, thank you. Uh, it's like blinking green at me. I'm like, I cannot think and do this at the same time. Um, 
sorry. I'm with family here, so I'm just going to tell you how it is. But, uh, but no, I, I, I fall in love with this church, and I start going to this small group, and this guy named Randy Bartlett comes up to me. He's known me for a week, maybe, uh, an older gentleman, and he comes up to me, which I was 18, so everybody was older at that point. But this older gentleman comes up to me, and he says, did you know you are supposed to be a pastor? And I said, yeah, I do. How do you know that? <laughs> like, you don't know me, man. And, um, and that was the next unexpected thing that happened in my life. But what happened next was something I honestly never saw coming. And that was that I decided to leave Auburn and pursue uh, ministry and pursue uh, a degree at a Bible college called Highlands College through the church I went to. And the next three years would be the best three years of my life. But honestly, after the first semester, I wanted to give up. I wanted to quit. I didn't think I could make it. I didn't think I was anointed enough. I didn't think I had the gifts and the talents that other people had. And I wanted to give up. Um, but I remember the Lord, the Lord and the, you know, encouraging me to continue to go. And also the fact that I just couldn't go to another school after only being there a semester, after I just left one school. And I couldn't tell my parents that again. But I just felt the Lord saying, like, keep going and trust me. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't worry about anything, but trust me. Just trust me. And so I step out in faith, I stay there, and he began to work. And over the next three years, uh, I really had the time of my life, met my best friends in the world, um, and from there, really graduated really well. I graduated kind of top of my class, which was a miracle. Like, if you knew me, I didn't do well at all. I fell out of my classes at Auburn, but the Lord's grace was on me when I went to Highlands College, and he just led me and gifted me, surrounded me with the right people. And it was just unexpected how well it ended up going after how bad it looked at the beginning. And um, so I remember graduating, having all these churches I'm interviewing at and getting these job offers that I just were like dream jobs for me to work in ministry. Um, And then I meet Pastor David Perkins. And that was the most unexpected thing uh, that I ever thought would happen. He comes down to speak at a college service and, um, and I end up hosting him. And he says to me, we get this, we kind of have this divine flow, like we're clicking, like we're supposed to be together. Um, and, and I feel that in my spirit, but I don't want to admit it because I just didn't want to move. I didn't want to help start a church. I had been doing set up tear down church for like three years. And I was like, I just can't do this anymore. Like I'm exhausted. You know, I'm 21 years old and exhausted. That was the, that was the thought of time. I just can't go any further. And, and, uh, welcome to the real world. And so, uh, um, but, I just remember, he, he said to me, he came back a few weeks later, we got coffee. He said, I want you to pray about moving to Kansas City. On the outside, I'm like, okay, I'll pray. On the inside, I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that. <laughs> Seriously, and, and, but I began to pray, and wouldn't you know it, <laughs> everywhere I went, I began to see um, Kansas City. I saw Kansas City Chiefs inside of restaurants. Uh, every time I go in a restaurant, the Chiefs would be playing. I've never seen the Chiefs play in my life, and I'm in Alabama. We only watch Auburn and Alabama football. And I'd see the Chiefs playing. I'd see the Royals playing. People would come up to me and give me some random fact about Kansas City uh, that I had never heard of. And I'm like, I forgot Kansas was a state. Like, you know, like, I mean, we're way down there in the south. And so, you know, it's, that's probably my schooling. Uh, not Kansas. It's not Kansas' fault, people. It's the school. And, um, but I just remember... I just remember thinking, oh, gosh, like, this, this is what's going to happen. And, but I knew the Lord was calling me. I, I mean, the more I prayed about it, the more I talked to people, the Lord surrounded me with people saying, I think this is what you're supposed to do. My pastors were like, I think this is what you're supposed to do. David Perkins is a guy you got to follow. And this, this thing I had in my spirit, too, was like, yes, these jobs are amazing. The Lord will be pleased with me if I go to these jobs. But if I don't go here and I don't see what the Lord's going to do, I'll regret it the rest of my life. 
Like I will regret the rest of my life not knowing what the Lord did. And so I moved to Kansas City about a month and a half, two months after meeting Pastor David. Didn't know a soul. Um, and I knew him from like three hours of coffee. And so moved here. Had never been to Kansas City. Read about it on the way up on Google, driving here. Read about Kansas City. I was like, this is pretty cool. You know, like the plaza. I was like intrigued by the plaza, reading about it. And I love it. It's, it's better in person. Um, but I, I was just... I, I was just stepping out in faith, following the Lord. And then I get here, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I hope this works. Like, I remember launch day just thinking, oh, my gosh, I hope this works. And, like, nobody being here, like, five minutes before the service. And then, you know, the Lord worked um, in the way that he does. And it really surpassed anything I could have dreamed of. You know, Ephesians 3.20, he'll do exceedingly abundantly more, anything you ask, think, or imagine. And that's what happened for me. I moved here, and it was just better than I ever thought. And we have this amazing dream team, and I've been surrounded by families. One of my favorite verses is he sets the lonely in families, and that's what I felt like here. I came here, I was lonely, but he sent me in a family of people that I love, and it's better than if I had never come here. So that leads to the question of why in the world am I speaking on, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a good question, and honestly, probably about a year and a half ago, I would not have been the right person to speak on this, and on the outside, it looks like life has been amazing, and I have had an amazing life. I've had the best family, amazing church experiences. The Lord has been so good to me. But about two weeks before I moved here, I had my first anxiety attack, and I thought I was dying. I didn't know what anxiety was. I, I was at a restaurant with friends, and I was like, I'm having a heart attack at 22 years old, and that's what I thought. That's what it felt like, and I just had this voice in my head like, you're about to die. Like, this is, this is happening. You're about to die. You better be ready um, to go to heaven. And I just, I was freaking out. And I go to the hospital, and they end up saying, you know, you may be dehydrated. We don't really know. There's nothing wrong with your body, though. Um, and, and so I just, you know, put it in the back of my head. It must have been a freak accident, dehydration. I don't know. It was summertime. And, and I would love to say that that was the end. But then I moved here, and things got so much worse. I mean, they got way worse. I started to have anxiety attacks Sometimes two or three times a day, uh, I'd have anxiety attacks, and I'd be ready to walk up on stage to do the announcements, and inside my heart's pounding. I think I'm going to pass out. I'm hearing all these lies from the enemy. Obviously, that's what's going on, but it was overwhelming, and it led to months of that happening and feeling like I couldn't tell anyone and um, being far from my family. I thought something was going to happen to them. That was another one of the lies, and just became crippled with fear. I kind of went into this constant state of fear, just always afraid of what's going on, always afraid something bad was going to happen, and that is exhausting. If you've ever been in that, which I'm sure there's people that have, maybe you're in it now, that is an exhausting place to be, and it brought up a lot of questions. It brought depression. It brought where I didn't want to do anything in life anymore. I remember my brother coming one day um, to see me, and I love my brother. He's two years younger than me. I try to live as a great example to him, um, and he came to see me. And I'll just never forget, we're driving around, we stop in this, at Topgolf, we're going to Topgolf, because it's like, if you're coming to Kansas City, we're going to go to Topgolf, and, um, and we're in the parking lot, and uh, he asked me how everything's going, and I just begin to weep, I mean, uncontrollable weeping, where he's having to hold me, my little brother is holding me uh, as I weep, because I'm just exhausted, and I feel so lonely, um, and I feel literally, I mean, I felt hopeless, that may sound dramatic, but in the moment... I felt completely and utterly hopeless. And that led to a lot of questions that made it worse. Questions like, is God really good? Does he really love me? Was I supposed to come here or did I miss it? But the biggest question was why? I just remember saying, Lord, why? I still find myself saying that some days. Lord, why? 
Why is it like this? Why me? Why now? I'm following you. I'm following the Lord. Isn't it supposed to be better than this? Isn't it supposed to work out in my favor? And this question of why just rose up. And maybe you've been there. I'm, uh, odds are you've been there before, or maybe you're there now. And if you're not, you'll be there someday. Josh, be more positive. Okay, I'm positive. You'll be there someday. Because <laughs> the truth is, life is really hard. It's just hard. We live in a broken world, full of broken people. Things happen every day. I mean, you don't have to go far to see that. You look at the news for five minutes. I can't watch the news. You watch the news for five minutes, and it's overwhelming, the problems that are going on. And Jesus said it. He said, in this world, you will have troubles. You can count on it. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. So the good news is we win. He's overcome. The bad news is we have troubles, and they cause us to ask, Why? In Matthew 27, we see Jesus going through the darkest moment in his life. He's on the cross. He's been beaten until he's unrecognizable. He's been deserted by his best friends. Can you imagine going through something like that and not even having people around you supporting you? He's in the darkest moment of his life, no doubt feeling more lonely than any of us have ever felt. And he cries out the same thing that I feel rise up in my soul in my dark moments. My God, my God, why? Why? And you know, I know Jesus knew why, because he did it willingly. People are mocking him, telling him, save yourself. He couldn't save himself because he was saving us. He couldn't get down off the cross. If he gets down off the cross, the whole world is left in shambles with no hope. He was our only hope. But even in the knowing, even in the understanding, he cries out, why? And he's quoting scripture, but no doubt that's what he's feeling inside of him. My God, my God, why? And I'm telling you something, you can understand what's happening, and it doesn't make the pain any less real, any less crushing, any less overwhelming. Just understanding. But the Bible says we can't lean on our understanding. You can seek it all day long, and that's good. I encourage you, seek understanding. Seek the Lord's perspective. But you can't lean on your own understanding. But what I love about Jesus is that even in his why, in the hardest moment of his life, he persevered through his why. He didn't let the why of his situation and what was happening in him stop him from what he had been called to do and what he had set out to do in the first place. He persevered through his why. And that's what we've got to do as well. We're going to have moments of why. We're going to have moments where it feels like there's no way I can do this. Like there's no way I can get through this. And you have to be able to persevere through that. So how do we do that? I want to give you three points on how to persevere through your why. First, we're going to look at this from Hebrews chapter 12. I think we should just take it out of our theme scripture. How do we persevere through our why? Well, we look at Jesus, how he did it. How did he do it? He focused on the joy set before him. Focused on the joy set before him. Jesus persevered through his why by focusing, what was, by, by focusing on what was on the other side of it. Jesus persevered through the cross 
by seeing the joy ahead of him, which was you and me. The Lord thought of us. That was the joy set before him. Me and you in eternity with him. Me and you in relationship with him here on earth. Me and you set free from sin. Me and you, are, our diseases healed. Our families put back together. That's what he saw when he was on the cross. And he let that be what carried him through his why. He focused on the joy that was set before him. I love Romans 8, 28. It's one of my favorite scriptures. It says, God works all things together. Now we know, we know God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We have to learn that there's more to come in our story. If you're a Christian, your best days are ahead of you. But can I tell you something? That might not be here on earth. We have got to fight for an eternal perspective that the Lord works it all out for our good in the end. And honestly, I believe in the redemption of the Lord here on earth. I believe there's more to come in your story here on earth. I don't know what you're going through. But if it is life-threatening, if it is the end of your life, this world is not our home. And I want to be the person with the kind of faith that says, I didn't start this to stay on this earth. Jesus didn't die so I could stay here in this pain, in this darkness. This world is not that good anyways. I want something better. I want families to be healed and whole. I want perfect peace. I want it the way it was supposed to be. I don't know about you, but I'm not satisfied with the way the world is. But there is joy that is before us. There is more to come in our life. Because you're a follower of Jesus. You've got to learn, though, to set your sights, set your focus on the joy that is before you. And that joy is relationship with Jesus in ups and downs, but ultimately for eternity. To get to the other side of your why, you have to place your faith in the promise of God and not in the reality of your situation right now. I want to tell you something. With God, you might not like where you are right now, but you're going to like where you're going when you get there. It's going to be better than you ever thought it was. So we've got to fix our eyes on what's to come, on what's ahead. Number two, we endure the cross. Jesus endured the cross, which means he didn't quit. He did not quit. He had a refuse-to-quit lifestyle. He was not stopping, and he could have. We see it in the garden as he mulls over these things in his mind, blood, sweat like blood dripping from him. He could have quit. He even says it to Peter. Peter cuts off the soldier's ear when they come to arrest Jesus. And he stops Peter, rebukes him, puts the guy's ear back on and says, don't you know that if I wanted to, I could ask my father for thousands of angels and we'd be saved instantly? He says, don't you know I could save myself? But I refuse to quit. In the garden, he's left Father, if this could pass, please let it pass. But he refuses to quit, and he presses forward. We have to be able to, in our darkest moment, in our darkest season, we have to be able to press past the greatest temptation, which is to give up, to stop hoping, to stop praying, to stop believing, to stop trusting his character, to stop trusting his word. That is what you feel. I felt that a million times this season. This year and a half since I moved here, I can't tell you how many days I wanted to give up. How many days I just wanted to move back home to Prattville, Alabama, where it's slow and easy. 
But I tell you, that's not the calling God has on my life. And wherever God has called you, he will equip you and he will walk beside you to get you through it and carry you through it. I've seen it in my own life. I'm not speaking in theory. I'm speaking after this year and a half of the Lord. Trust me. Trust the word of God. Trust the Holy Spirit. He will carry you through. But you have to have an attitude of, I'm not giving up till the end. I will go until heaven. I won't stop until I see his face. I will endure. You know, in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's 28 seasons that are listed. A season to live, a season to die. A season to sow, a season to reap. A season of mourning, a season of grief, a season of joy. I'm not going to list all 28 of them. (laughs) But there's one season that's not listed, and that's the season to quit. It's not in God's plan for your life to quit. And that's not because he just wants you to go through hard things. This, this world is broken. And you're going to have to have the attitude of, I'm not quitting. I will endure this cross. You don't have to enjoy it. I hate that saying, just enjoy the process. Well, all the process is not fun. It doesn't say Jesus enjoyed the cross. He endured the cross. You're not going to enjoy every part of this. But that's not your job to enjoy it. It's your job to press through. In faith, knowing that the God who sees you, who hears your prayers, who loves you, will carry you through. And you can make it. But I can tell you something, you can't do that alone. And that is why small groups are so important. I would not have made it. Not have made it this far in life, even through the good things. But definitely not through the hard times without people surrounding me. And you need to be in a small group. You need to get in a group because you're going to have a season where you need people. And to be honest, you need people all the time. The Lord said it in the garden. It's not good for man to be alone. You need people. But to endure the cross, you're going to need people pushing you on that can be the ones holding your hands up like they did Moses, building your faith. Will and Jamie Riddle, I want to honor them because this season I've wanted to give up so many times. And if it weren't for their prayers, if it weren't for them pushing me through, if it weren't for them holding me as I I cried because I just thought there was no hope, I would have never made it. And there's so many people, I can name people all throughout the room, the Bellas, the Dorinskys, the Perkins, like so many people, my friends, Isaiah Bruce. I could, I could sit here for the next 20 minutes and name the people who have helped me through this season. You need people in your life like that that can help you through the hardest season. You have to endure the cross to persevere through your why. And then finally, despise the shame. The third thing it says in Hebrews that Jesus did was he despised the shame. You know, the cross was a shameful thing. He's beaten, he was left, and he's there, and he could have been ashamed of it. He could have internalized his pain, which is what shame makes you do. Instead, he decides to cry out to his father, trusting in his goodness, trusting in the fact that I have a relationship with my dad, and I can ask him why. And I want you to know that gives us permission to ask why too. But you can't do that if you let the shame of your situation and your circumstance keep you from running to God. I remember so many moments in this season just feeling ashamed. If I could tell you one of the the worst parts of this season, it was the shame. I'm supposed to be a leader. I'm supposed to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not supposed to have shame. I mean, I'm not supposed to have these issues and I'm ashamed of them. I'm not supposed to have anxiety attacks. Aren't we supposed to be the strong ones? Those are the feelings I felt. And I thought, surely, you know, I'd I'd have an issue and I'd take it to the Lord. But after a few times of taking it to him, I was like, man, I really need to get it together. 
Surely I can't take this to the Lord again. Surely I can't tell somebody else I need prayer for this again. Am I gonna be the guy that's constantly struggling, that always needs everybody else helping me? And I just remember these thoughts, attacks from the enemy, these thoughts of shame entering my head, accusing me. And it keeps you from relationship with God. And I can tell you right now, even though Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a prayer, which means he's still connected to the Lord. Like he is still reaching out to God in prayer. And in your hardest moment, your darkest season, you've got to be able to reach out to the Lord and reach out to those around you in prayer and ask for their help. For some reason, we've bought the lie that we're not allowed to struggle. That it's okay to struggle with some things, but if it gets this bad, it's too bad to take to the Lord. And then we keep ourselves from the only answer. We keep ourselves from the only one who can help us through our situation because of shame. Well, surely, surely he doesn't wanna help me through this again. Can I tell you something? That's why we needed a savior in the first place. I remember waking up one morning and reading Hebrews chapter four. And it's been a verse that has been a rock for me. It says, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness because we have a high priest talking about Jesus who understands our weakness, understands our struggle. Can I tell you something that'll relieve some of your shame? Not only does God know the whole story, and not only did he suffer in every way you're suffering, he didn't just suffer for you, he's suffering with you. He wants to walk through your pain with you. And he, he, he is so sure and trustworthy in whatever you're facing. We see it in the garden, Adam and Eve, they sinned for the first time. And it's a big, that's a big deal, you know. Sin's a big deal, but you sin for the first time, you know. It's a big deal. You brought sin into the world. And undoubtedly, they feel this shame. The same one that tempted them is the same one that accused them. But what does the Lord do? He comes to them in their pain. And there's correction there, but there's also covering. And there's relationship. I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know what your why is. I don't know what has you, what's causing you to say why, what's causing you to question what's going on, what's causing you maybe to question the goodness of the Lord or if he's still in your situation or if he has anything to do with you or if he's, you still have purpose. I don't know what it is. I'll tell you this, he does and he's not ashamed of it. Peter denies Jesus three times. I was talking to somebody yesterday about Peter. Crazy life, man. He gets it right, gets it wrong, gets it right, gets it wrong gets it right, gets it wrong, in huge ways. Denies Jesus three times. And what does Jesus do? He comes to him and he finds him. So I don't know what kind of pit you're in today. Maybe it's a one you fell into. Maybe it's one the devil pushed you into. Maybe it's one you jumped in yourself. All I know is that the Lord wants to help you through it. He is the God who redeems our life from the pit. And he's faithful. But you have to be willing to push aside the shame, see that it's a lie, and press into your heavenly father who loves you just the way you are and wants to help you out.
If you would like to follow Jesus, we'd like to connect with you on your journey. Email us at follow at radianchurchkc.com. If this ministry has encouraged you, we'd love to hear your story. Email us at mystory@radianchurchkc.com. If you'd like to invest in Radiant Church, please click Give on our website, radianchurchkc.com. Are you a young adult and interested in spending a year in Kansas City at Radiant Church? Check out radiantintensive.com. Thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast.